was actually quite interesting that um, the Philippian church was an amazing uh, church that was actually started up by Lydia, who was a, a dealer in purple cloth. Remember, we told the story of how she was. She would uh, they would have a prayer meeting along the banks of the river outside the city of Philippi. And um, usually, when Paul started a church in a local town, he would go into the synagogue, uh, and there, that's where the church would be birthed from. But in order to have a synagogue. You needed a certain number of men that were Jewish believers in order to constitute a synagogue. So Philippi didn't have that. It didn't have a synagogue, but it had these God-fearing women who were seeking after God, and when they heard the gospel, responded to it. And it seems that the the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians was taken by um, Lydia to the other churches. So she was very much instrumental in the spread of the gospel and the building up of the churches. And so the ladies we read about today were some of those companions who who Paul calls his fellow workers and co-laborers. So I just uh, I just love to see that women are empowered in the life of the church, that uh, God has gifted us all uniquely and differently, and that we can all find a space and a way to use those gifts that God has given us. So that's really wonderful. So I'm going to be reading from Philippians 4, from verse 1 to 3, just three verses today, and I hope that that'll encourage you. So... It starts off with, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I treat, entreat Santiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So that's what we're going to look at today. So I want to bring out two things from these passages. The one is a, a profession of deep love and the other is an exhortation to God unity. Two, two little key things, and we're going to have a look at those. And I think it's actually quite an apt and wonderful thing to explore on, on, a, on a day like Mother's Day, because it's really about relationships and cherishing each other, um, which I think Mother's Day brings out, doesn't it? It's, it makes us mindful of those who are special and important in our lives. So just going to unpack verse 1, and it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So chapter four, Paul is really bringing to close this epistle. So you might uh, be thinking we've been long on a long road that we've been doing Philippians. How long have we been doing it for? 22 weeks. Right. Well, we're getting to the end straight, guys. Uh, and we have got to the nitty-gritty and the heart of this amazing letter, which is about a, a joyful Christian life. And uh, so Paul is coming to the end of his letter, and we see that he, he is really overflowing with a great tenderness and a compassion for them. He's talked to them about all kinds of things, and you, you just get a sense of, of how he feels towards them in this last part of the letter. He's taught them, he's warned them, uh, he's inspired them to stand firm in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus and not to be taken in by those who would lead them astray to follow after empty-headed teachings 
that were more about people's personal ambitions than a love for Jesus and his church. And uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, or if you haven't listened to the podcast, I really recommend Clive's podcast. I said, Clive, I, had, I, I listened to it while I was walking, and I, I had such a lovely chuckle. I felt so encouraged after listening to your sermon. But he so wonderfully, Clive, puts, helped us understand how there were people in the church who added their own strivings and ambitions and thoughts onto the message of the gospel, only to put believers under condemnation by distorting the message that Christ's cross is not sufficient. It it made out that you had to do some extra things in order to know salvation. So please read that. It's very powerful and impactful. Uh, Listen to the podcast. But now in this verse, Paul now professes his love and his heartfelt tenderness for this church that he has labored over in prayer and with the devotion of a father to his children. This is his attitude towards them. So the first thing that we learn in this little section is he says, he calls them my brothers. You see, the church is not a group of people who come together around a cause or a set of teachings or even a strategy Church is first and foremost family. Would you agree? Church is first and foremost family. We have this unique bond with each other because of our unity in Christ. Uh, I still find it amazing that you can go anywhere in the world and hardly speak someone's language, but when you know that they are also a believer, there's this, there's this wonderful Uh, bond with them, isn't it? Um, It can be anyone, but you know that together in Christ, you are brothers and sisters. And I think that um, it's very interesting how we can see each other differently when you know that you are family. If you just saw someone as just another person in a crowd or in a group, or you come or you go to a golf club and you play golf and they're your mates, that's great. But if you had to say to someone, you are my brother, you are my sister, it's a very different way of relating, isn't it? Uh, we, we don't, we're not in that tradition of saying, hello, brother Anthony, and hello, sister Irene. <laughs> uh, but in our hearts, there is that sense of us engaging with each other as brothers and sisters. And it's interesting for us to ponder how that changes our interactions when we consider that we are actually family. We're not just a group of associates and colleagues. There's something very, very deep in this relationship. Um, I think one of the things I love uh, about brothers and sisters is it also brings a purity into the church. That you look at one another as a brother or a sister, it takes out any kind of funny emotions that shouldn't that are inappropriate. That you treat one another in an appropriate way as a sibling, as you would your siblings. One of the things that God gave us um, when, he, uh, when we planted this church was a little word that's from one of the Psalms that says, he puts the lonely in family. And there's been something of a, a real mandate and a passion for us as a church that when people come here, that they can feel part of community and part of family. 
Um, I know there's many people here who've left their families. Maybe their families live in other parts of the UK or in other parts of the world. And uh, being here is not to replace your family, but it becomes like a surrogate family. There's a sense that you can know uh, a granny and a grandpa and an uncle and an aunt and all kinds of ages of people that can be family to us when our other family is, is far away. Um, and then I think one of the things I love about family is that you can really belong. Uh, you can find acceptance and you can be yourself. Isn't that true when you go home? You can do all kinds of things at home that probably you wouldn't do in public. Um, hopefully nice things, but you know, you can put your feet up on the table and you can burp and no one's going to go, oh dear. <laughs> and uh, there, there's something of being yourself in family. I'm not advocating we will start doing that here, but, um, but there's just a sense that the family shouldn't be that we always put on our best, I mean church shouldn't be that we just put on our best front and we never let people in on the, on the inside to know the real us. And um, yeah, that's why we love this idea of, of life groups, just getting to know people a little bit more deeply. And I think also what you also get in family is you get care and love and support. And people who love you are around you and stand with you. And then Paul goes on to this next thing. He says, whom I love and long for, and he uses this word, my beloved. And interestingly, Paul is not shy or restrained in showing his love and affection for them. He's not awkward or stilted, but he, kind of, he wears his heart on his sleeve, doesn't he? He's, he's using this incredibly affectionate language. I love you. I long for you. I mean, sometimes you might think lovers would say that, but he's saying, I, I miss you. Do you sometimes feel like that when someone goes away? You really miss them. They've, they've left a hole. And uh, he, um, I, I just think that it's, it's a very interesting thing for us to, to think about our own selves. I know we all wired differently, um, but how easy do we find it to tell people that we love them? Sometimes we kind of like, oh, that's a little bit uncomfortable. But I think that we can show love and express love in different ways. And one of the things that we've been doing in this parenting teens course is we've been looking at love languages. I'm sure you've heard Gary Chapman's teaching on the, the five different love languages and how we are all wired slightly differently and we can receive and give love in a way that's true to our, our makeup. And so some of the love languages are... Um, for some people, are words of affirmation. When you just speak an encouraging word, it just fills their emotional tank. For some people, it's quality time that you've actually made the effort to, to just hang out with them and to engage with them. We, we, Jesse and I had a wonderful time yesterday. I went to fetch him from university down in Bournemouth, and uh, the sun was shining. Wasn't it gorgeous yesterday? So I have a favorite beach in Bournemouth, which is a National Trust beach on Studland Bay. I don't know if you've been there. I think it's called Knoll Beach. And you have to go across on the ferry, and then you just go and sit on this beautiful, wild stretch of land with the yellow gorse lining the side of the beach. And it was just such a precious quality moment that Jason and I could sit on the beach, take some selfies, 
and put the camera away <laughs> and just look at the lapping waves. And for me, I know that filled my emotional tank and I think it did with Jess, but sometimes it's just creating those moments where we can have time with people that's very special. Maybe your love language is physical affection. I know there's some people when I give them a hug, they go, it's like, don't hug me, it's very uncomfortable. And I know I'm a very huggy person, so sorry if you get hugs from me all the time. (laughs) Uh, It's okay. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. If you, I love the Greek friends, hey, you kiss, and if you're French, three times. So Greek twice, is that right? Twice for Greek Three for French, any French people? What about, what about Brazilian people? Three times, three times if you're Brazilian. So if you know people's cultures, do the right thing. <laughs> Give them the right minds of kisses. Okay, and uh, that was part of Paul's culture, to, to greet in that kind of very affectionate way. Um, and then I think other love languages are acts of kindness, just doing something very thoughtful. After our parenting evening, Julia messaged me and you gave, oh, your, your daughter's get, get, love language is gifts. Oh. You try it all five. Good, good mother. <laughs> she, she messaged us and said she gave her daughter a little bar of chocolate just to make her feel special. Some people, that's their love language, just giving them a little... Uh, of flowers or something that's just a thoughtfulness. But in, a, in church community, we can't get to know everybody's love language, but I think we can get to just be demonstrative and show our love for one another. I think the essence of this verse is that no one was left in any doubt that they were really loved. And I think we should never leave people in doubt of our affection towards them. We should never allow people to think we, we're just a little cold-shouldering them or that just has, doesn't have a place in God's body. Our, our heart is to be open, to be generous, to be warm in how we respond to one another. Um, so I think church community is that place where we can feel safe and feel loved. When, when we do our grounded course, and many of you have done that, we just chat through some of the things that are really about building a culture that is loving and affirming. And these are some of the things that we mention in our grounded course. And one of the things we say is keep a short account and don't hold on to grudges. Forgive one another. I think that's really good, isn't it, when you're in community? And it's so easy for little fences to creep in and then soon they become big things. So just keep a short account with each other is really good. I I know Artie Kendall, who's preached here many times, he says, forgiveness is a lifelong sentence. And sometimes, you know, some of the wounds that we carry where people have hurt us are so deep that you just see, you forgive the person and you see them again and it's just all come back, comes back up again and you go, and you think, oh, maybe I didn't really forgive them. No, it's just you've got to forgive again and again until that thing becomes less of a, of a wound in your heart. Uh, one of the other things we, we speak about is honouring each other and speaking well of each other. And we really, at Forest Town, we, we try to say we don't have a, a culture of gossip, zero gossip tolerance. So if anyone comes to speak to you to slander someone else, you just say, well, if you have a problem, why don't you go speak to them? Because as soon as we take on someone else's offence, that's when things start to get not, not very pleasant. So honouring each other and speaking well of each other. 
And then I think something I've seen this church do so wonderfully is serving one another in practical ways to help each other. Some of you may know Sen and Anita, who've had a little prem baby, and I've just been astounded at the love and care that everyone has taken. We had a WhatsApp group and the messages of love and prayers that are put on there and just... And for other people that have had babies, it's a really great opportunity to go to those new mums and say, can I help you? Can I support you in any way? It's a very, very practical. We want to celebrate each other's successes and we want to stand with each other through the trials. That's, that's what that kind of love looks like. And then Paul goes on and he says, he calls this church, he says, my crown and joy. So in the previous chapter, which um, I think Ant, you taught on this, Paul spoke about keeping our eye on the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul mentions the same theme in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25, where he writes and he says, and everyone who competes for the prize is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. You may have pictures of uh, ancient times when they had the athletics events. Or Do you remember they used to give the, the winner a laurel wreath uh, uh, that they would put on a, a crown on the, on the winner's head? Or someone who came back from battle, they were given a crown, a laurel crown. And so that was a sign, a crown was a sign of a reward for winning, for overcoming And so Paul is saying the greatest reward for him, for the call of God on his life, was the people that he loved and served, his family, the church. They were like a crown of honour and a fitting reward for all his efforts and devotion. They were his highest joy. And I, I really believe this delighting in God's family is not just the right of the apostles, but it should be our highest joy and treasure too. Um, is that we never begin to take each other for granted as church, to be part of church family. I think of um, the thing times when we've been through difficult things in li- our lives and um, different areas of our lives, and the church has just rallied around and been such a support, and I'm sure all of you can testify to that too. It is such a treasure to be part of it. Jesus said these simple words. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So to ask ourselves this question, do we share Paul's way of treasuring and devoting ourselves to each other as God's special family um, through the evidence of our love and care? And not just the people that we are comfortable with or that we like, can we be that to everyone? Can we be um, impartial? Can we be consistent? Can we be devoted in our friendships to those that we maybe are new in the church and we haven't yet met to open our hearts and to show that love and devotion? So that's this first verse. There's this profession of love. Paul is telling them how much he delights in them, how much they are a treasure to him. And then he goes on into these next verses, verses two to three, where he has this exhortation to guard the unity in the church community. And we read this in verses two to three. 
And he says, I entreat you, O dear, and I entreat Santiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So after Paul's profession of love and care, he now addresses something that is threatening to undermine the very precious church family that he so loves. And no, it's not the outward attack of persecution or the dire warning against opportunistic false teachers who would try to lead them astray, but it is the insidious internal cancer of an unresolved conflict between two women in the church at Philippi. The church is doing so well on many fronts. It is bold in sharing the gospel, generous in sowing of its money and resources, certain in its purpose. But here, suddenly, Paul becomes very personal and appeals to specific individuals whose actions and attitudes are enough for Paul to address publicly for the sake of the well-being of the church. I don't think I've... It must have, must have been quite awkward when that letter got read out for Euodia and Santiki. I'm sure there was a lot of efforts to try and resolve this before it had to become a public thing that had to be addressed. So what do we know about the situation? Well, there are these two women, Euodia and Santiki. Um, they were probably very prominent women who, as I said before, were were friends with Lydia and uh, helped establish the church. Most commentators think they were probably deaconesses, leaders in the church. Uh, we don't really know what they were disagreeing on, whether it was something personal or maybe theological or even political. Or maybe they're arguing about Brexit or something. I don't know. What we do know, however, is that their private scrap had started to, to affect and infect the relationships with others in the church, who were perhaps starting to take sides as they listened to the complaints of each other. And Paul is distressed because these are two women who have supported him in his ministry. They've been women who've been teaching the gospel, uh, helping establish the new church in Philippi. And he says that they actually labored with him and Clement, who was another leader in the church. And he calls them fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These were not um, probably new believers. These were mature women who had kind of been there through all of the, the birthing of this church and seeing it through all the different stages. So in his letter, Paul once again uses this very emotive and heartfelt language when he says that he entreats them. Uh, he pleads with them. He implores and he begs them to find agreement in the Lord. Sometimes in the church, we may feel very strongly about something that we have to, we feel so strongly that we actually have to agree to disagree there's times when it can be like that, where you can just say, uh, we see things so differently that we have to agree to disagree. And even Paul says in, in verse 15 in the previous chapter, he said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any one of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you as well. So 
when, when things are theological, we need to give each other space to go on our spiritual journeys. Uh, we all come from different contexts. We're all on a different journey. We, we, it's not about winning the argument and then losing the person. Uh, we can share what we feel, but then there's also just trusting and praying that God will convict and lead a person into the full revelation of his word and understanding that. So we don't want to... And then certainly if someone is a new believer and they're still trying to understand things, you don't have to argue with them. You just try and live a life that demonstrates God's grace and God's kindness. Um, on some occasions, though, Paul did part from, with some of his team because of strong convictions around God's will and strategy of over and um, as in the case of Barnabas and Mark Antony in their story. And we see what happened there is they both agreed to go on their separate journeys after they, they had this sharp disagreement about whether they should take Mark Antony with them. They both continued doing their ministry, but they, they agreed that they wouldn't do it together because they felt it should be done in different ways. And that's reality. Um, even in, in churches, in teams, there can be differences of vision, differences of leadership style, and that's something that happened with Paul and Barnabas. And those things do happen. But there's another kind of disagreement that comes from offense when someone has hurt our feelings and instead of overlooking and forgiving, we begin to nurse an offense and soon it becomes a grudge and then a resentment and then slowly it causes disunity. One, one humorist said that these ladies, Euodia and Santiki, should rather have been called odious and soon touchy. But... Uh, Paul was aware that it may seem like a private quarrel, but left unresolved and unforgiven, it would soon undermine the very beautiful work of God's grace in the Philippian church community. Um, it's seldom that an argument or a disagreement doesn't affect someone around us, even if you think of in your own home. Sometimes when there's a squabble or a disagreement, there's, a, there's something that happens in the home, isn't it? There's just a little unpleasantness. And I, I sometimes find when I'm a bit grouchy and scratchy with Ant, then I notice the boys get grouchy and scratchy with each other, and I'm thinking, oh, did I sow that kind of atmosphere into the home? Um, but... I really believe that God wants us to navigate our relationships with a soberness. And we would do that if we, if we really considered the outcome in the wider body and the impact on the good things that God is doing in those little moments that are personal. Um, in Song of Songs, it says this amazing verse. It says, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyard that is in bloom. And there's this little simple question in our families, uh, our our immediate families and our extended families and in our church family, we can ask ourselves, what are the little foxes that threaten to undermine the beautiful thing that God is doing in our families or in our church community? And that we actually catch those things, catch them while they're still in the heart before they go out. And uh, each of us knows our own hearts and we know who we, what we are like and I find it a very interesting thing as I've got older. I've, I've always been a very secure person. Well, I, th 
I think I am quite secure. And it is very interesting that I notice as I'm getting going through this pre-menopause time that it is, I've definitely seen my emotions go up and down and they're not that reliable anymore. <laughs> and there's definitely times I think, I am so insecure right now and I've never been an insecure person. And I just have to guard my heart that I don't react out of that place, which is not really, I think, my true self, but it is part of who I am in the season of who I am. So ladies, as it's Mother's Day, I confess, <laughs> if you identify with this, we can help each other and say, I understand. But um, yeah, we, we're just having grace and compassion for all the different phases we go through. Do you know, this might be showing my, my age, the song of Mike and, by Mike and McCann, the mechanics called In the Living Years. Do you remember that song? Uh, he's, to, uh, some of the verses, you don't know that song? No, I'll play it for you. I, I, I won't embarrass you and sing, or embarrass Ant and sing it. <laughs> but what some of the lines he says is, um, he's singing about his relationship with his father. And he says, oh, crumpled bits of paper filled with imperfect thought, stilted conversations, I'm afraid that's all we've got. You say you just don't see it. It's, he says it's perfect sense. You just can't get agreement in this present tense. We all talk a different language, talking in defense. And as we sing together, say it loud. Say it clear, you can listen as well as you hear. No, don't clap. <laughs> I deliberately go out of tune so that I don't embarrass myself more. Okay, so, but he just says it's too late when we die to admit that we don't see eye to eye. Um, very sobering song, isn't it? And I think there's something very precious about our relationships and there's a present isn't there and I think times like Mother's Day make you kind of seize those moments or Christmas or a birthday maybe there's family that you don't see often but there's those little moments where maybe a text or a call can just be something that just maybe there's an unresolved thing that can actually just bring a healing moment and I don't know maybe there's something God wants to bring freedom in your relationships with whether it's in the church community or with your family, uh, but that we don't hold on to things so that the life of God can begin to flow through us and in our, in our community. So I'm just going to end off by praying for us and just asking God to come and show us what are the things that we can take away for this week and maybe show some love to someone that God is showing, asking us to reach out to. Okay. Father God, I want to thank you that uh, you loved us first before we even deserved your love. Thank you that that same love has transformed us and changed us to become more like your son. And I just thank you for this precious church, this Forest Town Church. Thank you for these friends that have become family. Thank you for the journey that you have us on together. And I pray, Father, that for each of us, you'd help us find that way of um, showing each other that we value each other, that we love each other, that we cherish this church family. And I, I thank you that that is already so abundantly clear. Thank you that this is a community that is so loving. 
And uh, I pray that you would just continue to enrich us, that our love may overflow in amazing ways that reaches beyond the walls of this church into the community, that they may know we are Christians by our love. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.